to sanitary products, including those experiencing homelessness and those in financial hardship as a consequence of the pandemic. Would my honourable friend kindly outline for the House what steps she is taking to promote access to female sanitary products? Mr Speaker, the government has taken several important steps to ensure women are able to access the sanitary products they need. From 1st of January 2021, the tampon tax has been abolished, with a zero rate of VAT applying to women's sanitary products coming into effect. The Department for Education is leading a scheme to provide access to free period products in schools and colleges in England. NHS England also announced in March 2019 that it will offer free period products to every hospital patient who needs them, including long-term patients. And the Home Office has changed the law to ensure all people in custody are provided with health and hygiene products for free, including period products. Let's go to Chair Morrow. Chair. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In lockdown, we have all become so much more dependent on technology, and yet that technology is not designed to treat us equally. Video conferencing and photo sharing apps, which don't recognise black faces, recruitment algorithms which discriminate on ethnicity and the Home Office's own visa application algorithm withdrawn because of bias. In this week of the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, what is she doing to prevent structural racism being further entrenched by new technologies? Um, the Honourable Lady raises a very interesting question. This is something that the government is aware of and is looking into. And in fact, I spoke to Dr Tony Sewell yesterday, who's chairing the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, and I am aware that this is something that they have researched extensively, and I look forward to seeing what their report says on it. We, I'm sorry we didn't get as many in as normal. Uh, we've so got to move over to questions to the Prime Minister. I'm now going to call the Prime Minister, where it will be... It will be beneficial to the Prime Minister to answer his engagements. I will then call Stephen Furry to ask his supplementary. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the last 12 months have been the most difficult for a generation, and I know that the thoughts of the whole House are with all those who have lost loved ones during the pandemic. I also want to pay tribute to every person in this country for playing their part, whether working on the front line, staying at home, to prevent the spread of the virus or working on vaccine development and supply. And it's that vaccination programme that has brought hope, allowing us to set out the cautious but irreversible roadmap out of lockdown. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Let's go to Stephen Farrell. Stephen. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Many independent countries, from Switzerland to New Zealand, have bilateral veterinary agreements with the European Union and face lower non-tariff barriers than the UK, despite our very high standards. With the Food and Drink Federation reporting a massive drop in UK food exports, over 90% in some areas, and furthermore, SPS checks constituting the main challenge for the Northern Ireland Protocol, Surely the Prime Minister should be making it a priority to negotiate a bespoke UK-EU veterinary agreement. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. And that's exactly why we put in the, the temporary and technical uh, measures that we have to allow uh, free trade to continue uh, across uh, the whole of the UK. And it's very, very important for uh, those who object to the measures that we have taken uh, that the, uh, the, uh, the protocol should uphold the, the principle of east-west 
uh, trade as well as, as north-south north trade, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In Sussex, by the end of this week, we will have delivered one million COVID jabs. Will my right honourable friend join me in paying tribute to the local vaccine heroes, in particular Adam Doyle and his leadership in Helsham, Charlotte Luck in Upfield and Dr Susie Padgham in Crowborough? And will the Prime Minister agree with me that the UK's success is built on the confidence that people have in the fantastic vaccine technology? And should and when our constituents get contacted for a vaccination, they should definitely take up the first available appointment. Well, uh, they, I can certainly join her, uh, my honourable friend, in paying tribute to Adam Doyle and Charlotte Luck and uh, Dr Susie uh, Padgham for, for all their efforts. And she's completely right in what she says about the foundations of the UK's uh, vaccine success. And I had my, my jab on Friday, Mr Speaker. I know whether you've had uh, yours or you certainly have, uh, but I, I know he's had his. Uh, I, I encourage everybody, uh, everybody to get it. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start with joining the Prime Minister in his remarks about yesterday's day of reflection for the 126,000 people who lost their lives to COVID? That's a shocking number, and behind every one of those numbers is a grieving family. As soon as restrictions lift, there must be a full public inquiry because that is the only way we can get to the bottom of the many mistakes that were made during the pandemic and find justice for those who've suffered so much. Mr Speaker, why did the Prime Minister promise at the last election that he would, and I quote, not be cutting our armed services in any form? Oh, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, that was because what we were going to do was actually increase spending on our armed services by the biggest amount since the, uh, since the Cold War, £24 billion, uh, modernising our armed forces, keeping our, with no redundancies, Mr Speaker, keeping our, our, our army at 100,000 if you include the reserves. And I must say, I take it a, a slightly amiss a from the uh, right honourable gentleman when he stood on a, 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 man, a manifesto to elect a man who wanted to pull this country out of NATO. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, he's fighting the last war, but um, is he trying trying to pretend, is he trying to pretend, hidden in that answer, that the army stands at over 100,000, the number the Prime Minister quoted there, uh, because it's absolutely clear from the Secretary of State for Defence's statement that I think he made here on Monday, he was absolutely clear. His words, I have therefore taken the decision to reduce the size of the army to 72,500 by 2025. Only this Prime Minister could suggest that a reduction from 82,000 to 72,000 is somehow not a cut. Uh, but the Prime Minister didn't answer my question, which was why did he make that promise? He said before the last election, Prime Minister, all very well looking up, we will not be cutting our armed services in any form. What did he do this week? He cut the British Army by 10,000. He cut the number of tanks. He cut the number of planes for our RAF. And he cut the number of ships for the Royal Navy. I say he. The Prime Minister didn't have the courage, actually, to come to the House himself to say what he was doing. So let me ask the Prime Minister a simple question. Going back to that promise before the election, did he ever intend to keep his promise to our armed forces? 
Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, not only, not only did we uh, keep our promise uh, the, of the, in the manifesto last night, we actually increased spending uh, by 14% more than that manifesto, uh, manifesto commitment. And I, again, Mr Speaker, I think it is frankly satirical. Uh, to be lectured about the size of the, uh, of the army, when the shadow foreign secretary herself only recently wrote that the entire British army should be turned into a kind of peace corps, um, Mr Speaker. And, uh, and when, as I say, the, uh, the leader of the, uh, of the opposition stood on a manifesto uh, to elect a, elect a, or wanted to elect a leader who himself wanted uh, to disband the armed services. This is a massive investment in our defences uh, and in our future. And it's wonderful to hear the, the new spirit of, uh, of jingo that seems to have enveloped uh, some of the Labour benches. Uh, you, they, they, they don't like it Upham, Mr Speaker. Let's try this for Upham, because um, the Prime Minister might want to avoid the promises he made, but I found an interview he gave during the general election campaign. Under the headline, here's the headline, no troop cuts, Tories will maintain size of armed forces. It then goes on to quote the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson has promised that he will not make any new cuts to the armed forces. He also promised, might want to listen to this Prime Minister, he also promised to maintain numbers at their current level, including the army's 82,000. Now, I know the Prime Minister's got form for making up quotes, but, but can he tell us, does he think the newspapers have somehow misquoted him, or does he now remember making that promise? Prime Minister. Yes, Mr Speaker, because there will, there will be no redundancies in our armed forces. And I said to him, if you include, if you include reserves, we're, we're even keeping the army at 100,000. But on top of that, Mr Speaker, we're doing what is necessary to modernise our armed forces, taking them into the 21st century, building more frigates, Mr Speaker, investing in cyber warfare, Mr Speaker, doing all the difficult things that Labour shirked during their time in office, including, Mr Speaker, modernising and upgrading our nuclear deterrent, which again, which again, half the shadow front bench would like to remove, leaving Britain defenceless internationally. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I have every respect for our reservists, but the, the Prime Minister is just playing with the numbers. He knows very well that the numbers have been cut. The trouble is you just can't trust the Conservatives to protect our armed forces. Let's, well, let, let's look. Mr Speaker, let's look at their last manifestos. These are the manifestos that those opposites stood on. The, 20, the 2015 manifesto. Oh, oh, order. I'm struggling to hear the Leader of the Opposition, and I will hear the Leader of the Opposition, so please, I want the same respect to the Prime Minister as I respect for the Leader of the Opposition. Pierre Thank you, Mr Speaker. The 2015 manifesto. We will maintain the size of the regular armed services. The 2017 manifesto, we will maintain the overall size of the armed forces. 2019, the Prime Minister, we will not be cutting our, um, our armed services in any form. But the truth is, since 2010, our armed forces have been cut by 45,000, and our army will now be cut to its lowest level in 300 years. Let me remind the Prime Minister and members opposite why this matters. Lord Richards, former Chief of Defence Staff, has warned that with an armed force of this size now, we almost certainly wouldn't be able to retake the Falklands 
or stop genocide. It says it's rubbish. That's Lord Richards, Prime Minister. After 10 years of Conservative government, is the Prime Minister not ashamed of that? Uh, well, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, this Conservative government is massively proud of the investment that we've made uh, in our armed forces, which, as I say, is the biggest uplift since the, the Cold War. And he should look at what the NATO Secretary-General had to say about our investment, which is absolutely vital for the future success of the Alliance and, indeed, uh, for the security of many other countries around the world. Uh, a £24 billion investment, uh, investment in the future combat air system and use Army uh, Special Operations Ranger Regiment, uh, £1.3 billion to upgrade uh, the Challenger uh, main battle tanks, uh, massive investment in the Typhoon squadrons, uh, and so on. Uh, we're investing in the future, Mr Speaker, and yes, of course, we've had to take some tough decisions, but that's because we believe in our defences, and we believe that they should be more than merely symbolic. And it's the Labour Party, Mr Speaker, who are consistently, historically um, hilarious to be lectured about the Falklands, uh, Mr Speaker, con con consistently, uh, consistently weak on protecting this country, and, and, you, and you heard it, uh, you, it was most, most visible uh, last week, Mr Speaker, during the debate on the integrated review, when it was plain that the shadow front bench couldn't even agree to maintain Britain's nuclear, nuclear deterrent. Absolutely true, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, what's weaker than making a promise to our armed forces just before the election, then breaking it and not being prepared to admit it, not having the courage to admit it? And there's a pattern here, Mr Speaker. He promised the NHS that they would have, quote, whatever they need. Now nurses are getting a pay cut. He promised a tax guarantee. Now he's putting taxes up for families. He promised he wouldn't cut the armed forces. Now he's done just that. So if the Prime Minister is so proud of what he's doing, so determined to push ahead, why does he at least have the courage to put this cut in the armed forces to a vote in this House? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm proud of what we're doing to increase spending on the armed forces by the biggest amount since the Cold War. The only reason we can do that, Mr Speaker, is because under this Conservative government we've been running a sound economy. And it's also because we believe in defence. We've been getting on with the job. He talks about nurses and investment in the NHS. I'm proud of the massive investment uh, that we've made uh, in the NHS. And actually, we have 60,000 more nurses now in training. Uh, and we've increased their starting salary by 12.8%. Uh, We're getting on with the job, Mr Speaker, of recruiting more police. 20,000 more police. I think we've done 7,000 already. Well, they're out on the streets, Mr Speaker, at demonstrations shouting, kill the Bill, Mr. Speaker, that's the difference. That's the difference between his party and my party. We're pro-vax, Mr. Speaker. We're low-tax, and when it comes to defence, we've got your backs, Mr. Speaker. Can I just say, I, I genuinely mean this. I do not believe any member of Parliament would support that. Kill the bill. I've got to be very careful what we say. I say. We are all united in this House in the support and the protection that the police do offer us, and nobody will shy away from that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The question, Prime Minister, is why not put it, I don't have the courage to put it to a vote. That question, of course, was avoided, Prime Minister, uh, Mr Speaker, like all of the questions. And we all know why he won't put it to a vote. Let me quote his Conservative MP, Chair of the Defence Select Committee because he recognises, and he has experience and respect across the House, he recognises 
that this review means dramatic cuts to our troop numbers, tanks, armoured fighting vehicles and more than 100 RAF aircraft. And he goes on to say, your MP, Prime Minister, cuts that if tested by a parliamentary vote, I do not believe would pass. Not me, his own MPs. Mr Speaker, can I say this? Because I want to turn to another issue that affects thousands of jobs and many communities across the country. 5,000 jobs are at risk at Liberty Steel, with many more in the supply chain. The UK steel industry is under huge pressure, and the government's failure to prioritise British steel in infrastructure projects is costing millions of pounds in investment. So will the Prime Minister now commit to working with us and the trade unions to change this absurd situation, to put British steel first and do whatever is necessary to protect those jobs? Mr Speaker, I just remind I'm of course happy to cooperate in any way, but uh, the steel output halved under the, uh, under the Labour government. Uh, I share very much the anxiety of, of families uh, who's, uh, who, with, of steel workers who work in, in Liberty Steel, and that's why the, uh, the, my Honourable Friend the Business Secretary has had, I think, three meetings just in the last few days uh, with Liberty Steel to take, the, uh, to take the question forward, see what we can, uh, we can do. We are actively engaged. Uh, we're investing uh, huge sums in modernising uh, British steel, making, uh, British steel uh, plants and making them uh, more environmentally friendly. But we have a massive opportunity, Mr Speaker, because this government is engaged on a, a £640 billion infrastructure campaign. Uh, HS2, the great Dogger Bank, uh, wind farms, uh, Hinkley, uh, all the things that we're now building, uh, the beaching railway reverses, all the things that we're doing across the country, they will call for millions and millions of tonnes of British steel. And now, Mr Speaker, thanks to leaving the European Union, we have an opportunity to direct that procurement at British firms in the way that we would want to do. Whereas I know that the right honourable gentleman would like nothing more than to take this country back into the European Union and remove that opportunity for British steel and British steel workers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last night I spoke with young people in Aberconway about their experiences of 12 months living with lockdowns. They were very articulate about the challenges they've overcome and about their concerns for their future, finding a job, moving to a new university. Does the Prime Minister have a message for Evie, Jonas, Saul and Lauren, who I spoke with, and other young people who are thinking about their future and a life after lockdown? Yes, my message is, is, is just to thank them and to say how, for, for what they put up with and to say I'm sorry about how difficult it has been uh, for, for, for their generation. I, I don't think there can be any group of young people who have been put through much or have had to sacrifice so much uh, in, our, in our lifetimes. And uh, we owe it to them to repair their education and to get them uh, into work as fast as we possibly can. And that's why we've set out the, uh, the £2 billion uh, kickstart fund and many other schemes uh, which I hope uh, will be useful uh, to his constituents. Let's go to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, my brilliant colleague, the member for Adrian Shots, made his final speech to this parliament. He is standing for the Scottish Parliament and is doing the right thing by stepping down as an MP. By doing the right thing, he will avoid a dual mandate and a separate by-election that would cost the public £175,000. Mr Speaker, the Scottish Tory leader is also seeking a place in the Scottish Parliament 
but is refusing to step down as an MP. So, as his boss, will the Prime Minister order the member for Murray to resign his seat, avoid a dual mandate, and save the taxpayer £175,000? Or are dual mandates one more Tory policy where they think greed is good? Prime Minister. I think my honourable friend, uh, uh, the member for Murray and Ross, is doing a, an excellent job of, uh, of holding the uh, Scottish National Party to account for their manifold uh, failings, uh, not least on education, uh, failing to uh, deliver on crime, and failing, in my view, to deliver for the people of Scotland, so caught up as, as they are uh, in their desire for, for independence and another referendum, and I'm, uh, for separation. I'm, I'm amazed, actually, that he hasn't uh, mentioned it so far, but perhaps he will now. Let's go back to Ian Blackford. Ian. simply yet again a Prime Minister failing to answer a question and that charge that greed is good in Tory policies. Mr Speaker, we know that Tory leaders in Scotland have a habit of dodging democracy. Baroness Davison is fleeing the House of Lords and the current Tory leader is too feared to stand in a constituency. No wonder this morning's Daily Record declared that the Scottish Tories have exposed themselves as shameless, as nasty and just plain daft. They are led by a man so devoid of imagination that when asked what he would do if he was Prime Minister for a day, he replied, I would like to see tougher enforcement against gypsy travellers. Does the Prime Minister really have confidence in a Scottish Tory leader who doesn't even have the courage to put himself before the voters in a Scottish constituency? Of course, Mr. Speaker, and uh, uh, the right, the right honourable gentleman represents a party that's so devoid of imagination uh, that it can't come up with any workable uh, solutions to help the people uh, of Scotland uh, improve their education, uh, improve uh, the fight against crime, uh, cut taxes in Scotland where they're the highest in the in the whole of the uh, of the UK. They're so devoid of imagination, Mr. Speaker. They're the one track record. Uh, all they can talk about is a referendum uh, to break up the United. Kingdom. That's their, that's, the, that's their song. I'm amazed, actually. It's twice he hasn't mentioned it. Maybe he's getting nervous of singing that particular song. Have you know, it's rather curious, Mr Speaker. I, well, he's not coming back, is he? But, uh, but next week, let's see, or, or after Easter, let's see if he, remem he mentions it again. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. As my right honourable friend has already said, um, the steel industry is fundamental to our future in the UK, and we can't reach our net zero commitments or our infrastructure targets without steel. But Stocksbridge Speciality Steels in my constituency does have an uncertain future because of the funding challenges faced by Liberty Group. Um, the Stocksbridge Works is a strategic asset of national importance. So what assurances can my right honourable friend give my constituents that the government will do what it takes to safeguard jobs and livelihoods uh, and secure the future of steelmaking in the UK? Uh, I, I thank my honourable friend and she's a, a, a passionate and uh, successful advocate for her constituents and for steelmaking in this country, in which this government passionately believes. And that's why, as I was saying to the right honourable gentleman, we're supporting uh, the UK steel industry uh, with, uh, with more than 500 million of relief, but also uh, with uh, huge investments to make uh, our, our steel making more uh, greener and, and more competitive. Uh, and we will, we will do everything we can, Mr Speaker, uh, to ensure that we continue with uh, British
British jobs for producing British steel uh, with the infrastructure investments that I've mentioned uh, and directing uh, those, uh, that procurement at British jobs in the way that we now can. David. The Prime Minister talks about restoring freedoms as we emerge from the lockdown. It is pushing a bill that will restrict one of our most fundamental freedoms, the right to peaceful protest and peaceful assembly. And tomorrow, he is asking for another blank cheque to restrict everyone's freedoms until September, even though we now know the vast bulk of the Coronavirus Act is not needed to tackle the pandemic. So will the Prime Minister, for once, match his actions to his words, drop these draconian laws and instead publish a roadmap to revive civil liberties and freedoms in our country? I, I sympathise very much with his uh, desire to see freedoms restored, and I, 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 I want to do that as fast as we possibly can. That's why we've set out the, uh, the cautious but, we hope, irreversible roadmap that we have, which I hope that he supports, and I hope the Right Honourable Gentleman uh, also supports, so you can uh, never tell, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but what we also want uh, to do is to make sure that uh, we're able to deal with the very considerable backlog uh, that we've faced because of the pandemic, so uh, making sure that we have powers still uh, to accelerate uh, court procedures uh, with, uh, uh, with Zoom courts, uh, to make sure that we allow, uh, allow volunteers uh, to continue to help in the NHS, retired staff to come back to the colours, uh, powers that are necessary in education. It is, it is important to be able to continue uh, with those special measures uh, for, the, for the months ahead, and that's why we've set out the bill as we have. Lucia. Mr Speaker. My constituent, Tracy Felstead, is at the Court of Appeal today, along with 41 other sub-postmasters. She is seeking to clear her name in a grotesque miscarriage of justice, the Post Office Horizon scandal. The Court has heard that the institutional imperative to back a flawed IT system and to convict sub-postmasters, destroying lives of decent men and women in a ruthless determination to protect the post office, come what may. Taxpayers will be picking up the bill for this multi-million pound reckless wrongdoing. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that in order for justice to be truly done, for, that those responsible for this failure and its cover-up they must be held to account. Does he agree that heads should roll? Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, we've certainly—I uh, I certainly understand the, uh, the, my honourable friend's uh, strong feelings on this issue, and, I, and, uh, and her campaign is one I think that is uh, shared by many members across, the, across this house. And that's why we launched the Post Office, Post Office Horizon IT inquiry, which has made actually quite fast progress and yes we do want uh, to learn the lessons yes we do uh, want to make sure that uh, the right people are held to account for what happened and that the post office never repeats a mistake like this let's go to alan dollars alan thank you mr speaker and good afternoon subject to certain conditions being met the northern ireland act of 1998 allows for the Secretary of State of Northern Ireland to call a referendum on Irish reunification and for Northern Ireland to leave the United Kingdom within seven years of a previous referendum. These conditions for a referendum have all been more than met in Scotland since the independence referendum in 2014, seven years ago. We are allegedly a union of equal nations. So why, as a Democrat, 
will the Prime Minister not agree to a Section 30 order enabling the democratic will of the people of Scotland to be measured? Is it because he's fearful of the likely outcome? I mean, to speak, I knew it wouldn't be long. There they are. Uh, uh, I, uh, the, the reason, Mr. Speaker, the, well, there's, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, as uh, senior members of his party said, it was a once-in-a-generation uh, event in 2014. I think the point of view that is shared uh, across the, uh, the House, uh, and, and, quite, and quite rightly. But the, but the other reason, uh, which is absolutely plain to most people in this country, is that we're all trying to uh, build back better, uh, get out of a pandemic. Uh, and I think that is the priority uh, for the British people. I think it's the priority for the whole country, and I think, they'd, I think people are frankly amazed uh, to hear the Scottish Nationalist Party still, in these circumstances, banging on about their constitutional obsessions. Let's go to John Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Scottish rugby legend Doddy Weir lives in my constituency and has been diagnosed with motor neuron disease. Uh, Doddy's foundation, the My Name's Doddy Foundation, is campaigning, campaigning alongside re the research community, patients, MND Scotland and the MND Association for the government to invest £50 million over five years to establish a virtual MND research institute. Now, I understand positive uh, discussions have already taken place with the Health Secretary, but it's important to ensure other priorities such as this are not lost in the pandemic. Will the Prime Minister commit the government to supporting this initiative so we can work towards finding a cure to this devastating disease? I, I thank my honourable friend very much for raising this uh, important question and for, uh, for championing research into, into motor neuron disease. And uh, I thank him also for raising the excellent work of the, uh, of the My Name is Doddy uh, Foundation. And uh, we've, we've spent £54 million uh, in, the, in, in the last five years towards uh, this cause, Mr Speaker, and we're looking now uh, to, uh, to ways significantly to boost uh, the research uh, that we're supporting. Let's go to Absol Khan. Absol. Uh, Mr Speaker, a year into this crisis and more than 126,000 lives have been lost. Behind this staggering figure are millions grieving their loved ones. In my family, we have lost an entire generation. I couldn't hold my mom's hand as she lay dying, and I recently lost both my father and mother-in-law within just days of one another. Grieving families like mine want and deserve to understand what happened and if anything could have been done to prevent this tragedy. So will the Prime Minister today commit to launching a full public inquiry into the handling of the pandemic as soon as current restrictions are lifted? Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I want to say to uh, the Honourable Gentleman that I know that the whole House uh, shares my sympathies and my sorrow uh, for, for, for your loss, for his loss. And uh, we sympathise also with your entire, his entire family, Mr Speaker. And I, I know that uh, his experience is one, uh, as he rightly says, that has been shared by far too many families uh, up and down the country. And that is why uh, we are, of course, committed 
uh, as soon as it's uh, right to do so, as, as soon as uh, it wouldn't be uh, uh, an irresponsible uh, diversion of the energies of the key uh, officials involved, uh, we are of course committed uh, to an inquiry, to learn the lessons, to make sure uh, that something like this uh, can never happen again. Can I just try and push us through to get through the list? Andrew Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 3rd of May, Wembley is scheduled to host the finals of the FA Vars and FA Trophy, not from this season, but delayed a year from the last one. But that date means that no fans can go, even though a trip to Wembley to follow their team is like a holy grail, especially for the smaller clubs. The MPs for the clubs involved, that's the members for North West Durham, Jarrow, Castle Point and myself, have raised this with the FA. Will the Prime Minister join us in encouraging those scheduling the matches to do all they can to move the date so that fans can attend? Yeah. Uh, I, I hope very much, Mr Speaker, that the, uh, the Football Association will have li listened uh, carefully uh, to what my honourable friend has to say, and uh, uh, they, they do what they can. And I look forward to, to May the 17th, uh, when uh, spectators, uh, according to the roadmap, uh, may return. Ronnie Collins. Yeah. Mr Speaker, 17 months ago, Prime Minister, I stood in this place and asked you what you were going to do to get medical cannabis to children suffering from rare forms of epilepsy. And you said to me you recognised their desperate difficulties and that you would take it up personally with me. Their difficulties are still desperate and you have not taken this up personally with me. In the interim, we have developed new medicines, distributed them around the country, given to people who need them free of charge. Why are we discriminating against the children? What are they? Are they worth less than the general public? And would Prime Minister move to make medical cannabis available to children with epilepsy? And if you could please, Prime Minister, take this up with me personally, five minutes of your time today could go a long, long way. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to do whatever we can to, uh, to uh, meet with the Honourable uh, gentlemen, and, and take the matter forward. But the, the Dutch government, I'm told, has uh, confirmed they will allow the continued supply of Bedrocan oil uh, against UK prescriptions uh, until uh, at least the summer and, the, and the, until, ju until July, as he rightly says. And I, my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, is working to find a permanent solution. I have no doubt that he will be very happy uh, to meet with uh, the honourable gentleman. Let's go to Derek Thomas. Derek. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given the past 12 months, I, like many others, would not want the job of Prime Minister, even for all the tea in China. However, the job does give opportunities to directly improve the lives of people who are very, very sick. March is Brain Tumour Awareness Month, and over 100,000 people have signed a brain tumour research petition calling for the government to match brain tumour research funding with other devastating cancers. And we know through COVID that properly funded research really can bring improved care, treatment and a cure. Will my friend, the Prime Minister, meet with me to receive the petition when it is safe to do so? Yes, yes indeed, Mr Speaker, and uh, I thank him for what he's doing. I congratulate him for what he's doing to champion uh, research into, uh, into brain cancer. And uh, I know from activists in my own constituency, where the Centre of Hope uh, runs the, the Hillingdon uh, Brain Tumour Injury Group, how vital it is, uh, because uh, too often people don't appreciate uh, the number of people who are the victims of, uh, of brain tumours and uh, we've put another 40 million into uh, brain tumour research and uh, we are certainly going to put more and I, I look forward to meeting uh, my honourable friend. Let's go to Emma Lewell-Burke. Emma. Thank you very much Mr Speaker. My constituents Ronald and Julia Sheriff's daughter Danielle currently lives in Gran Canaria. 
Last year, aged just 33, she suffered an aneurysm. Danielle remains deeply unwell and her family are crowdfunding to bring her back home to live. They have been advised that when she does return home, she won't be eligible for the treatment that she needs on the NHS. Please can the Prime Minister support the crowdfund for Danny and give his personal assurance that she will receive the care that she needs from our NHS. I thank her very much for raising the, the case and I, I, my deepest sympathies with, uh, uh, with Danielle and, uh, and her, her family and will make sure that uh, the relevant health minister uh, meets her to discuss the case as fast as possible. Right, let's yes. just go to Kelly Tullis. Kelly. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 40 years on from my predecessor, Dame Peggy Fenner's opposition to the closure of Chatham Dockyard with the loss of thousands of jobs, I am now opposing the closure of what today is Chatham Docks with the loss of over a thousand skilled jobs, this regionally important asset, home to successful maritime and construction businesses, all growing in spite of COVID to make way for flats, short-term profit for the landowner at the expense of long-term economic and environmental benefits. Does my right honourable friend agree with me, local councillors and the Save Chatham Docks campaign, that coastal infrastructure plays a significant role in the growth of our local economies, creating jobs in clean maritime technology, contributing to our net zero ambition? Yes, Mr Speaker, one of the reasons why we put £24 billion into defence alone is that it drives 400,000 jobs around the country, uh, including the building of, uh, of new frigates uh, and new ships of, of all kinds. And I hope very much that uh, Chatham uh, will benefit from the £100 million uh, funding we put in on uh, the 24th of December to rejuvenate uh, coastal, uh, coastal towns. Uh, the, ma the matter she raises, uh, the planning issue she raises, is a matter for the uh, for the local council, but I do hope a, a solution can be found uh, which gives uh, the benefits that she describes for the local community. Let's go to Paul Blomfield. Paul. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last night I met again with leaseholders whose lives have been torn apart by the cladding and building safety scandal. Now, the Prime Minister will recall that he told the House on the 3rd of February, and I quote, no leaseholder should have to pay for the unaffordable costs of fixing safety defects that they did not cause and are no fault of their own. No ifs, no buts, an unequivocal pledge. Now, the government's measures so far fall well short of fulfilling it. So could the Prime Minister say now, not what has been done, but what he will do to deliver his promise? Uh, Mr Speaker, we're, in addition to the, to the three and a half billion uh, of, of investment uh, that we're provided to, to remediate the, the cladding uh, and the, and the, and the 1.6 billion that we've, we've already done, we're providing a new scheme for leaseholders in, in the lower risk buildings of, I think, the kind that he's describing, uh, to pay for uh, unsafe remediation over the long term. And there'll also be a new levy and tax on developers so that they also contribute to the remediation costs. So, Mike Penny. Much, Mr. Speaker. Before the Prime Minister became Prime Minister, we had a discussion to do with the prescribed medical use of cannabis and how, how it was helping to save really seriously ill children, not hundreds of thousands, but about 150. We changed the law in November 2018 to make it legal for these prescriptions to be written, prescriptions written by top consultants. Today, we have three children that have it free on the NHS 
and around about 150 children that have to beg and borrow their families and remortgage their homes so that they can actually pay around about £2,000 a month. Prime Minister, this is wrong. As a father, like I am, you would do everything possible for your families. And these families are doing everything possible for their children. Can we have a follow-up meeting to the one in 2018 where I will bring one of the mothers who actually gets it free, not to stop her getting it free, but to allow to explain to the Prime Minister how wrong this is that children's lives are being, going to be lost if we have to go through the process that the NHS is proposing. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, this is the second time I've asked, I thank my, uh, on, on my right honourable friend very much, and he's, he's right to, to, to raise it, uh, and uh, we will make sure that uh, we have a, a proper meeting with the, uh, with the Department of Health uh, so that we can resolve the issue of how to make sure that the Bedrocan or the, uh, the, uh, the, the cannabis-based products that are coming uh, from Holland, uh, that supply uh, can be made uh, secure and can, and can continue. Don thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, can I personally thank you for your support for Parliament's uh, COVID memorial quilt? Uh, Prime Minister, after uh, PMQs, I will be presenting my cross-party private members' bill, the Coronavirus Number Two Bill, uh, to Parliament. It's based on scientific advice, sage uh, guidance, and lessons learned. Will the Prime Minister please commit to reading this bill and uh, please provide me a response, a written response, maybe by tomorrow, I know that's a bit of a long ask, but if not, within the next two weeks. Thank you. I'm very happy to make that commitment, Mr Speaker. Let's go to Philip Davis. Philip. Thank you, Mr Speaker. To Thank you, Mr. Speaker. To paraphrase um, the late, great, much-missed Eric Forth, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, I believe in individual freedoms and individual responsibility. I believe that individuals make better decisions for themselves, their families and their communities than the state makes for them. I loathe the nanny state and I believe in cutting taxes. Prime Minister, am I still a Conservative? Yes, Mr. Speaker. Let's go to Dave Dugan. Dave. Mr. Speaker, we learned today, unfortunately, from the media rather than a minister, that the Treasury has informed the Veterans Office that their budget is to be cut by 40% from 5 million to 3 million. Now, this cannot be right, Mr. Speaker, as just yesterday, Graham Day, the SNP Scottish Government's Veterans Minister, announced a further £1 million to support Scottish veterans alone. These disparate positions are irreconcilable. This is a tale of two governments. So will the Prime Minister follow the SNP's lead and assure the House today that he will not allow this cut to UK funding for veterans? Prime Minister. Uh, not only was this the first government to create a veterans uh, minister, specifically with the charge of uh, looking after veterans, Mr Speaker, we've not, not only have we invested in them, uh, but we've also taken steps to protect our, our armed service veterans from vexatious uh, litigation uh, pursued by lefty lawyers, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, a kind sitting not a million miles away from me uh, today, uh, who pursue them long after, long after uh, they have served, their t served uh, Queen and country uh, and when no new evidence has been provided. Uh, we tried to protect them, uh, Mr Speaker. We have protected them and that party voted against it, Mr Speaker. Let's go to Andrew Bridgen. Andrew Bridgen. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister has always enjoyed his visits to my constituency of North West Leicestershire, whether it's Ashby de la Zouche on the eve of the historic referendum or Castle Rock School Colville last August. He will therefore be pleased, but not surprised, that uh, Leicestershire County Council for the last three years has been the most productive county authority in the country, despite also being the lowest funded. Can my right honourable friend assure all the residents of Leicestershire that our Conservative controlled County Council will imminently benefit from fairer funding and the government's levelling up agenda so that it can continue to deliver excellent public services? Uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I thank uh, Leicestershire County Council for uh, the way they're uh, conducting themselves and for delivering value for money. And that is what uh, the elections that are coming up in May are all going to be about, Mr Speaker. Invariably, it is Conservatives who deliver better value, who deliver better services and lower taxes. And that is uh, what Leicestershire County Council has done, and I congratulate them on it. And I fully agree with what uh, my honourable friend has said. Chris grateful, Mr Speaker. The Government has said that the Community Renewal Fund is a fantastic opportunity for Wales, yet Bridgen County is not listed as a priority place for the fund. And on the 10th of February, at the dispatch box, the Prime Minister invented, and I quote, a world-leading battery plant for Bridgend in response to the significant job losses we've faced across my county borough in the last two years. Except when the Prime Minister has still refused to apologise to my constituents for ah. When will he stop treating my constituents as an afterthought? Keep true to his promise of not a penny less for Wales and ensure that he brings real investment to my constituents in Ogmore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in, uh, I can tell that uh, in, in Ogmore and across Wales, uh, the uh, people of Wales and the Welsh Government will receive an additional £5.2 billion uh, of resource funding uh, on top of uh, the spring budget funding of 2021. Uh, £800 million uh, of the levelling up fund is going to uh, the devolved nations. And each local authority in Wales, each local authority in Wales, uh, will receive £125,000 in capacity funding. And I look forward to working with him and with Welsh uh, local government to deliver those improvements. That's the final question. I'm now suspending the House for three minutes to enable the necessary arrangements before we start the next business order.